Let's hear it for our worship band. Thank you. Isn't it great to uh, to be led in worship by people who are passionate, but they also have a gift? It's, uh, it's awesome when people use their gifts to glorify God, when people use their gifts to, to uh, bless other people. I, I had an experience that um, this, this past week where I was with a very gifted person. I, I had a couple days to take my boys up into the mountains camping, my older boys, and I went with uh, Taylor Abiel. Uh, he, he took us up, and he had researched the perfect place to find, and we get there, and the meals were incredible. I mean, we had steak and potatoes and onions marinating in an open fire, and then, like, all of a sudden, my kids and Taylor would disappear, and they'd come back, and they'd have homemade slingshots, or all of a sudden, they have these uh, bows and calling all shamus. Please come to the front right now, my whale call. Um, homemade homemade bows and arrows and then we walk up on this rattlesnake and me and my boys are like ah! and he's like be calm this is a perfect lesson and he like tells us where their strike zone is and then it was almost like there was a stick perfectly planted with a little fork on the end and he like picks it up and moves it and he's like no you see boys they will never mess with you if you're not like moves the rattlesnake i'm like what in the world anyway by the end i was like taylor you are like one-third davy crockett you're one-third Mary Poppins with the kids, and then you're one-third Wolfgang Puck, like, creating these meals. This is unbelievable. So, anyway, we're, we're up. This guy could do anything in the woods, and so we're up on the top of the mountain, and he's teaching the boys how to rock climb. And um, anyway, I said, uh, we're, we're looking at this, and, and Taylor starts talking about all the different things he's done out in the woods and all these different adventures he's having. And, I mean, very, very humbly. So he's talking about when he was in an all-out sprint on a horse in Patagonia in Argentina. I'm like, that's pretty impressive. Um, I've just worn a Patagonia jacket once. And anyway, he, and, and um, he's talking about being with the, gaucho, the gauchos, the, uh, the Argentine horsemen. And, and what they were doing, he said, man, when I was there, you know, the majesty of the horses, and we're just sprinting through the tundra. It's not like the normal trail ride and in America where, you know, the horse's nose is touching the other one's bottom, and you're like, oh, this is really cool, you know. And uh, he said, you know, I fell so in love with it that I thought, this is, this is what I want to do. I want to come down and be a gaucho. And um, he said, then the opportunity came. He's a, he's a photographer by trade, so this... Argentine photography company invites him and says, you can come and work for us. And he's thinking, this is perfect. I can live in Argentina. I can be a photographer. I can live out this horse thing. And then he said, you know, isn't it amazing how one decision can alter the course of your whole life? He said, I actually sat down and and prayed about it and really reflected before the Lord. God, is this really what you have for me? And he said, at the end of that time, I, I sensed that it wasn't. And Right at that time, I came back to the United States and got involved in All Peoples because my whole community started shifting. I got a, a, a great girlfriend, Emily, who's leading our Indonesia team, a few Emily fans in the room. And I, I have this serious, this serious girlfriend. I'm about to do uh, the night school of transformation. I'm, I'm here with you as 
my pastor and, and, and sons, he's like, isn't it crazy how one decision can alter the whole course of your life? And I, I want to unpack that this morning. I want to unpack kingdom decision-making this morning. Because what I find is in school, we're taught the periodic table. And we spend all these hours memorizing these different elements. And, and most of us never use them. And we learn all these different uh, aspects of math. But we're never really taught kingdom decision-making. And I want to tell you that our lives are much more affected by the decisions we daily make. Our destiny is either walked into or digressed from by our decisions. And so, you know, I I started thinking this week, hey, do I have a decision that's really affected most of my life? And I, I thought about when I was coming to the end of high school, my decision on what college to go to. I I was deciding between two colleges. I was deciding between a college called Rice University. Am I going in and out? I am going in and out? Yeah, go ahead and hand me the handheld. I was deciding between this this, col- this college called Rice uh, in Houston, Texas, and, and they had um, sent me some, uh, like, recruiting letters to be a vocal performance major, to actually come and do opera. I don't know if you knew that, but I actually was uh, classically trained to do music. And I was thinking, you know, this is an awesome opportunity. I could, you know, I could just see, you know, next to Pavarotti, here's my name, you know. And uh, so, you know, this is, this is an opportunity. And then I also, there was another school called Baylor, and they weren't really pursuing me at all. But I did have this thought, you know, I haven't had Christian friends in my whole life. I didn't have a, the privilege of growing up in a community with a lot of Christians. And, and I thought, you know, I think that there will be a strong Christian community for me at Baylor. And even though I was totally uh, self-absorbed by then, by, by God's grace, I made the decision to go to Baylor. And I thought about how many aspects of my life that changed. I mean, first of all, so many of my best friends to this day are from Baylor. My, my roommate, Robert Fuller, who became my brother-in-law, who you guys met, who came and did worship for us on Easter and in Mexico and marries my sister and their whole family comes out of that. And wow. And, and, and I, my, I met some friends there that just were on fire for Jesus. And that's really what took me from just being a casual Christian to being on fire for God. And then I find this church or this church finds me and I get transformed and it ends up being the group that I'm with now that we plant this church. And I find my wife, praise God, there and fall in love with her. And my kids came from that. And after that, I graduated and stayed and working with Baylor students, and basically probably 80% of my staff came from, from there. And I just think, wow. And, and here we are today, right? I think, wow, from one decision, how many life-impacting things have grown. And I want to unpack that today. I, I want to talk about that today. I, I find that most families talk about these different decisions that were made in their family. Some good, some bad. I think of one good one that my father often tells is about his father, who was a colonel in, in the army. And he was basically administratively overseeing uh, Camp Mabry in Austin, but he's invited to, to move to Houston and be a general. So this is like the career opportunity of a lifetime, 
But he realized if I do that, I can't serve my family. Not that being a general is a bad thing. It's a great thing. But he knew I can't serve my family the way I want to. I don't want to move my family. And so he forfeited that and stayed in his post as a colonel. And I think, wow, if he wouldn't have done that, my dad would have never met my mom in our city. And these kind of decisions, I also think about some decisions that you hear that people kick themselves for the rest of their lives. My, My dad would often tell us, as kids, this story about how he had worked hard and saved up money, and he finally had this money to invest. And so he's deciding between two startup companies. One, an environmentally safe ant killer. And the second one was this tiny computer startup company called Dell Computers. You guessed it. At the time, fire ants were horrible in Central Texas. So he was like, for sure, the fire ant company, this is going to be my road to success. So he puts tens and tens of thousands of dollars into this company. And guess what? They never even got their environmental, their EPA number. They never even got approved. He lost all the money. My great uncle, who put about the same amount of money in Dell Computers, makes $50 million. And there was a season of about five years where I heard about this every single day. (laughs) My... uh, my, my roommate, Robert Fuller, uh, my brother-in-law, tells a story from his family of his, his grandfather um, being a middle-of-the-road businessman. You know, he was a real hard worker, and he had Fuller & Sons hardware stores. I'm sure you've heard of them. There's like two stores in Arkansas uh, named Fuller & Sons. So anyway, he, he was uh, uh, in, in hardware, and this man, his friend named Sam, comes to him. And says, I'd like for you to invest with me. I have this concept of these general stores that operate at discounted prices and really focus on good service. And Robert's grandfather said, you know, I just don't think that's really where the the society is going. I'm going to focus on my hardware stores. Well, Sam Walton did his idea without uh, Mr. Fuller. And some of you have heard of stores called Walmart. Uh, Walmart went on to be a pretty successful chain and... uh, Fuller Hardware uh, is kind of eking by now. We always laughed at that story of, of, that, of that decision that Robert's grandfather had made. You know, those are pretty funny. Those are, you know, families were affected by that. But I, I find that there's some stories that are really tragic. There's some decisions we make. I think about my high school experience and decisions I made in high school that I so regret that make me look back with a lot of pain of, of hurt that I caused in people's lives or different things that I, I did that, that so marked poorly the name of Jesus as I was known as a Christian. Today, I, I want to give us an operating system for making godly decisions. And I'm going to use the metaphor as a compass to hopefully help you remember. Because one of the main things that people do uh, one of the main reasons I have appointments throughout the week is people coming seeking advice for decisions. I want to give you the template that I give to people for making kingdom decisions. You guys ready to roll up our sleeves and get to work here? Okay, so let's go ahead and put this compass up. Let me just explain once again, if you don't know what a compass exactly is, it's a navigational instrument for finding direction. So here's a compass, north, south, east, and west. You have them on your iPhones now. You have them. uh, We don't use them as much, especially because we're not out in the woods as much. Growing up hunting, I always had a compass with me. 
just to uh, explain that there's a needle on a compass. You don't have a needle on here. But let me just read to you what a needle does. The needle of a compass is a freely rotating magnet which aligns itself with the Earth's natural magnetic field. So the needle will always point north. And that's how you then twist the compass and align it with north. And that's the way you get your directional sense. Today I want to say that you're like a needle on a compass. The trajectory of your life is like you being a needle... And what's the first thing that we must align is true north. And let me just say that for a believer, true north is scripture. True north is scripture. We're going to put that up here on this compass for you to remember. Scripture is your true north. You always want to be facing in the direction of scripture. Let me read to you a few verses about what scripture actually says about itself. We're probably not going to have time to turn to all these verses. I'm going to be hopping all over scripture. This is much more of a topical message than I usually do. So you're just going to want to write down these scriptures as we put them up. Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So often when we come to a decision, we just feel like I'm in darkness. I want to tell you, there's nothing like being in darkness. And then someone comes and puts a light right in front of you. That is what the word of God is like. The word of God is a light at our feet. It's a light to our path. And that's why we want to start there. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says this, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You say, I want to, I want to do good work for God. Then you need to be in the scripture because the scripture is going to teach you. When you get out of line, it's going to rebuke you. It's going to correct you and it's going to train you. Let's keep going. Romans fifteen four, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. We need hope. So often, We come into situations and it feels so hopeless. And that's why God has given us this massive book. Because everything in this book is to give us an encouragement, endurance, and hope. The scripture will give us hope in hopeless situations. Joshua 1.8 says this. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. The Bible actually promises those that meditate on the word, those that are disciplined to speak the word, those that are disciplined to align their lives to it will be successful and prosperous. I don't know anyone who sets out to be a loser. My goal is to be a loser. I'm just going to... No, people... I don't know anyone who says, I I don't want to be prosperous. I don't want to be successful. Well, here is the key. For true success, use the word of God. Lastly, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than an endeavor. sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So many times I come to a decision and I feel this one way. But then the next day I feel this other way. And the scripture divides it. It's like a sharp double-edged sword that just comes down, cuts right through our emotions, cuts right through our thoughts. It is an absolute truth. I want to tell you, men and women, we live in a day where people are saying there's no absolute truth, and that's an absolute lie. (laughs) Scripture is the absolute truth. It is the Word of God. We can build our life on this book. You can trust the Word of God. All of life's questions are answered through 
Scripture because God never changes. His word never changes. Now, the problem is the people of the world are making decisions based on things that are not Scripture. Let me give you some examples of what I see people using as motivators for making decisions. One is what feels good. Another is what other people will think. Yet another, what's, what's the easiest? What's the path of least resistance? I'll take that. How about what will benefit me the most? What will make me the happiest? Or they make decisions based on fear. I'm really fearful here, so I'm going to do this. You see people doing that all the time. The, the sad part I see is that many Christians are using these motivations for making decisions. They're using these worldly rationale to make decisions. Here is the question we need to ask ourselves. Every time you come to a situation, come to a decision, what does the word of God say? Now, let me, let me just be painfully obvious, painfully clear. This is so simple, but I've just got to say it. There's some basic questions that we all come to, right? I think everyone at some point asks this question. Is it okay to just go party my head off and go get drunk? Okay, obviously the world's answering all different kinds of ways because a million people are doing that, billions of people, right? But Ephesians 5.18 says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, okay? Some people are asking this question, hey, is it okay to sleep around with people if I really love them? You know, I, I know I shouldn't just be a total harlot, but if I love someone, is that okay? Here's what scripture says to that Question, Romans 13, 3, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in the orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality. You see, there's, there's very clear answers to many questions in life. I, here's one. Hey, is it okay to kind of cheat on my taxes? You know, I mean, it's the government. Is that really, you know, is that really a godly thing? Look at what scripture says here in Romans 13, 7. Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes... Pay taxes for crying out loud. It's not that complex. I want to say that so many of the issues that we actually struggle over are right in Scripture. And if Christians will start reading the Bible, if, if when we have questions, we start going immediately to the Bible and then start living that out, we're going to have a revolution in this country. We're going to have a massive revival. We're going to have a moral revolution. People are going to start trusting their neighbors again. Families are going to, be, are going to start being safe places to be raised. If people will just start living by scripture. Amen. So, so your first question is always, what does the scripture say about this decision? What does the scripture say? Number two. So we've got due north is scriptures. Due south. Due south is, is, is really important. Due south is the voice of God. Now, what I'm saying is this. Let, let's just say for illustration, that's north. That's not north. That's south. Let's say that this is north. Right here. Now, this is kind of north. Pretty, pretty close. I can be looking at north, but I can be kind of slanted looking at north. And although I'm looking at north, my body is not aligned with north and south. So if I went off on this journey, I'm going to end up going way northeast, right? But if I align myself where the front of me is facing north, the back of me is facing south, then I'm going to go on the right path. Scripture heads us in the right direction the voice of God puts us on the specific path for your life. Did you catch that? Scripture 
points us in the right direction. It keeps us in the right line where we don't violate God's principles. The voice of God puts us on the right path, right? In scripture, there's plenty about God honoring vocations, but there's no scripture where it says, Christian, you are supposed to be a carpenter. That, that scripture is not in, right? It might say something about a Christian. So that your name is kind of confusing. Leo, you're, you get what I'm saying? But God's voice, God speaks to us clearly his purposes for each child. Listen to what scripture says, Matthew 4, 4. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need to hear the voice of God. We can't just be people who say, well, I'm just a word person. Why? Because there was a group of people that were just the word people back in the Bible. Their names were Pharisees. Because they knew the word a lot better than any of us. They memorized almost the whole Torah, almost the whole Old Testament. They memorized, but they totally missed God's will. Why? Because they didn't listen to Jesus' voice. They weren't tender. When Jesus showed up and he spoke to them, the living God standing before them, we were like, eh, don't want to hear it. The word says this, and so we're just going to do this. So they missed, they got legalistic on the word versus hearing the love, the spirit of Christ, hearing his spoken word directly to them. You need the voice of God. Here's a great example. So all of a sudden, you have some money. And your question is, what do I do to honor God with this money? Right? And so you read. You read in Proverbs 13, 22, and it says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And you go, oh, I need to save this money. I need to put it away. I need to grow it so I can give a ton of money to my kids. And you're like, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. And then you read Luke 12, 33. And it says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And provide treasures in heaven. And you go... Okay, I'm totally confused. The word of God tells me to save and give to my children. The word of God told me to give it all away. What do I do? Which is the biblical thing? Both. So how do I know what to do? By the voice of God speaking to you today. He puts you on the right path for today. We hear his word and move forward with him. Can you imagine me raising my kids and just having written a manual and I say, kids, y'all just read that manual. I'm out of here. No, my kids, they daily need my instruction for different situations and circumstances they're in. And plus they need to hear my voice just to feel loved. You need to hear your father's voice. Okay. So here's the second question you always need to ask yourself in making a decision. What has God spoken directly to my heart concerning this decision? One of the ways I do this, and especially in large decisions, is I encourage people to do a 30-day journal. Where every day you're asking God to speak to you. Let me just give you some, some ways that God speaks to our hearts. Okay, one is just words that he puts in our mind. I've told many of you, one time I was praying and God spoke to my heart. I just heard it in my mind. It wasn't an audible voice, but... Go to San Diego, plant a church in two years. It was a very specific word. That's not in the Bible, but it's totally in line with his word. That's a word spoken. God speaks to us through pictures, through mental images. I've had people come up and and give me, here here was a great one. There was a a guy in our uh, staff meeting this week, and he went through this long story 
about how when his father died, he found this coin and it was so impacting to him. Then Kendall comes up, he ha- Kendall hasn't even heard this story, and Kendall goes, I feel like I'm supposed to put this coin in your hand. And that God's saying that this coin is like your life, and he's asking you how to spend it. And the guy had told us, told me the story the day before about how his life was like a coin, and God was asking him how to spend it. That was a picture that God put in Kendall's mind that was exactly what God had spoken to this guy. Totally impacted him. God gives us pictures. God gives us visions. The reason I knew that I was called to be a preacher is I was sitting in a, in a super traditional chair listening to Handel's Messiah and a choir in white robes. And all of a sudden I have a vision of myself walking back and forth. And all of a sudden I double over and start weeping. I didn't even believe in visions. I was judging myself for having a vision. Oh, you're becoming one of those crazy charismatics, right? But God speaks to us through visions. He speaks to us through words. He speaks to us through mental images and impressions. He speaks to us through dreams. He'll give us a dream. I've had all kinds of dreams that have given me direction on where to go. God speaks to us through the prophetic. Maybe that, what Kendall said was a great illustration of, of someone coming up and giving someone a prophetic word before I moved here. A girl came up to me and said, Robert, are you about to plant a church? And I said, why? She goes, when I look at you, I see San Diego written across your face. I hadn't told a soul. I ran off from her, locked myself in a closet, and called Steph. Steph, you'll never believe this. Now, I, I want to encourage you to not give those kind of directional words. And she wasn't telling me, thus saith the Lord, you're going to go to San Diego. But she had a prophetic word that God just spoke to her out of the blue. And it was very confirming to me. And that's, these are all aspects of hearing God's spoken word for us today. What has God spoken to your heart about this specific decision? That's very important. Okay, let's, let's move on. There's also, not just north and south, but there's west and there's east, these two points. I would say that due west is wise counsel. Wise counsel. The, the scripture is very clear that we as Christians are the body of Christ. Now, You'd be foolish if you decided to just block out all of your senses, except your sense of smell, and say, I'm going to make decisions by what I smell. So you walk in a room and you start smelling something and you're like, oh, that's really good. I'm going to bank my whole life on this. No, you would say, you know, I don't only want to smell. I also want to hear. I also want to see. I also want to feel. Right? We, we have all these different senses. In the same way, the body of Christ is the body. So you might be an ear, but you hear in part. And so we need the other parts of the body to see and to feel and to smell. Are you tracking with me? Because I, I see this is one of the main ways that people miss it in life. The main ways that people go in a ditch is they, they're like, I've got this. I'm going to make my own decision. And so they get prideful. And the Bible says that God actually resists the proud. I don't think he's going to let you walk in the fullness of your calling if you just try to do it on yourself, on your own, by yourself, pridefully. Because the Bible says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And it's humbling to come and say, I need you, and I need you. Wise counsel, the first aspect of wise counsel is leaders in the body of Christ. Now, when I say that, some of you immediately go, ooh, I don't want to submit, you know, different ideas and different questions to leaders. And that's because we've been wounded or hurt by ungodly leaders. Let me tell you that leaders were never supposed to disorder us around. A true spiritual leader should inspire us by the way they live, and they get under us 
to serve us. When people come to me, my role, what my obligation is as a leader, is not to say what I think is best for me. Not what's going to benefit me or even just benefit all people's church. My role is to say, before the living God, what is the very best thing for the kingdom of God and this person? And it doesn't matter what I feel about it as a leader. What has God created this person for? And that's the kind of advice I need to give them. God puts spiritual leaders in our life, not to boss us around, but to protect us. That's a shepherd. The role of a shepherd is to watch for the bear and for the shepherd to go after it, not to hide behind the sheep and say, oh, here's one sheep. Oh, here's another one. Here's another one. As the bear comes and eats them all. The role of a shepherd is to protect the sheep. The role of the shepherd is to move them to a place where they can be fed, where they can be watered. So when you find a mentor like that, and anyone in this church has the opportunity for those kind of people, we have the most wonderful, loving life group leaders. They they mess up. They have faults. We all do. But these people are giving their lives for free to lay down their life for people like you and me. And so we come when we have a decision You want to come to a leader and say, hey, God has given you a a place of influence in my life. I want to bring this to you and ask you for advice. And in Scripture, we see that God actually gives leaders gifts to help us move forward. But it's not just a leader. It's also your godly community. The friends around you that are really trying to walk with God. I find that so often they have a perspective that no one else has. I, you come to me seeking advice, I'll, I'll do my best, I'll try to hear God, but I might see you for literally two minutes on a Sunday. But your godly friends that live with you through the week, they really understand you. They really see your circumstances and situations. And so we go to them, I, I never make decisions without first calling my godly leadership. I'll I'll call Jimmy Seibert, who is my pastor for years. I'll call Father David Munzingo. I'll call someone on my board of advisors. But then I'll talk to my friends that I walk with. I'll 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 call Carl Steinbrecher, and I'll talk it through with him. I'll I'll talk it through with with these different, with Ron and Jim, and I'll talk it through with Kendall and Jonathan, and ask them, what do they think about these different situations that I'm going into? Because I want their perspective from people who really know me and really care about me. You guys getting this? So number three, when you're making a big decision, what is my wise counsel saying about that? Would you do me a favor if you're taking notes right now? Would you just write down for me? This is just a good little test for yourself. No one's going to see it except you. Who's your wise counsel? When you have a decision to be made, who are the leaders you go to? And then who are the friends you go to? Write that down. If, if no one's coming to mind, you, you'll see that's an area that needs to be girded up. That's an area that I don't have down. Right now. Okay. Let's move to the last one. Let's move to the the last portion of the compass. Let me just give you a verse if you're not convinced of the counsel before we move there. Proverbs 15.22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Plans fail for lack of counsel. I I, I never want to make a decision without talking to my wise counsel about that. that. There is safety. It's a safety net for me. Lastly, the fourth component, counting the cost. Counting the cost. Let's look at Luke 14 together, starting in verse 28. These are the words of Jesus. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? 
For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or, suppose the king's about to go to war against another, will he not first sit down and consider whether he will be able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask of terms of peace. So let's say you're making a decision. Let's just really put it down to the rubber meets the road. You're making a decision to buy a car. So you use this, let's put up this compass. You use this compass and you're going, okay, is this in line with scripture, buying this car? Yes, I need transportation, but maybe it filters out some cars because scripture says don't do anything out of vain, uh, selfish ambition or vain conceit. And you're like, well, maybe I don't need to spend a quarter of a million dollars on this car. Now you laugh, but some people do it. Some people for some reason think it's okay to spend a quarter of a million dollars on a car. I would say that there's some scriptures that probably point against doing that. The voice of God. What is God saying to my heart? So many times in going into a decision, he's actually speaking to our hearts. He's actually saying, it is time to buy a car. You need to make this investment. It's going to better your family. It's going to get you to work. It's He's speaking to us. Okay, so then you go to your wise counsel and say, hey, I'm thinking about buying a car. What do you think? I'm thinking about spending this much. What do you think about that? So you're getting wise counsel. But then the last one is counting the cost. You could have a great scripture about buying a car. You could have heard God and felt inclined to do it. You could seek counsel. But if you just go and just say, okay, well, then I'm supposed to buy a car. I'll take that one. And you don't actually do a little research, right? And, and find out that a, a 75 Plymouth, there are not many on the road anymore. And, and you don't actually open the hood and, and, and see, wow, this thing is a mess. And you don't take it for a drive and actually carefully consider, then I, I think you're really foolish. I, I want to tell you that there is a practical element to most decisions in life. And God has given you a brain to consider it, to reflect, to ponder. Listen, listen to what scripture says in 2 Timothy 2.15. I think this proves my point. In the King James Version, it says, study to show thyself approved unto God. It actually says study to shew thyself. <clears throat> but it means show. So study to show thyself approved. Now, why? Why doesn't God just download supernaturally everything you need or just give it to you all through leaders? Because there's a part of being diligent that builds character and that he unveils things through a practical wisdom. Are you following me? So what I never like is someone using the super spiritual way to then go and make a decision and they didn't do their due diligence. They didn't do their homework. Are you following me? Now, some of you right now are going, yeah, I feel so awesome because I have 17 spreadsheets for every decision I make. And I watch every news channel all day long to make sure I know exactly what's happening in society before I make any move. That's not exactly where I'm going with this. There was this one time where there was some disciples in a, in a storm and Jesus actually calls to them to do something that really had nothing to do with worldly wisdom. Hey, why don't you step out of the boat and walk on water? So what, what I'm trying to tell you is don't, don't start going, okay, so Robert, every decision I have to make, then I have to, I have to research it extensively and make sure everything, you know, every I is dotted, every T is crossed. No, sometimes God just has us do things that make no sense. One time God spoke to me 
to build a house debt-free, but then first told me to give away all my money. That made no sense. But he did it. And at the end, we had a house debt-free, and God used the process in unbelievable ways. But what I never want to do is use the word of the Lord for an excuse to be sloppy and haphazard in how I live my life. So when it's up to me, I want to do everything with diligence and honor and hard work as under the Lord. Amen? I'm speaking specifically, specifically to you young people because you'll get a vision from the Lord and that's something we love. We pray that God just deposits these, these deep visions and things. But I want you to not just hear the voice of God. Then I want you to take it to Scripture and look at that and say, so does this line up with Scripture? And then I want you to go to someone older than you. And if you're 21, that's not a 22-year-old. I want you to go to someone in another generation and say, now, you've lived a while and you seem to have not have blown up your life. And, you know, things have, you know, everything hasn't been perfect. But, you know, I really respect you. What do you think about this decision? And then you ask your friends, you know, I'm thinking about starting this business. And they look at you and go, well, I could see you doing that someday. But first, you need to be able to make up your own bed. And you go, oh, okay. And, and then you actually count the cost. Well, in order to start a business, I can't just, you know, go and, and, and start it tomorrow. I actually have to secure funds and I have to register and I, I, have to, I have to have employees. And you've got to count the cost before we make decisions. Let me just give one more question to, to ask yourself. So you're asking, what does Scripture say? You're asking, what is the voice of the Lord spoken to me. You're asking, what is my wise counsel saying? You're asking, after careful reflection, what are my findings? After careful reflection, what are my findings? But the last one is this. What's going to bring Jesus the most glory? What's going to bring God the most glory? I, I find that that question cuts through the heart of a matter like a knife, like no other thing that Every decision before I make it, I just want to say, what's going to glorify you most, Jesus? Because that's what you're on earth for. And at the end of the day, I want to know that my decisions are bringing glory to God. Not that I love it, not that my wife loves it, not that people are going to be impressed or people are going to be unimpressed. I want to know, Jesus, what's going to bring you glory? If you're taking notes, write that down. What decision is going to bring God the greatest glory? Now, I, I just know after sharing a message like this that some of you feel paralyzed. You're like, wow, one decision can alter the whole course of my life. Where do I go to lunch today? My wife might be there, <laughs> you know? And if I, go, if I go to Jack in a Box, I might miss my lifelong companion, right? We, we get freaked out about everything. If I have a hamburger, you know, it might, I need a hot dog. Or, uh, we, we, we can get paralyzed with our little decisions. Let me, let me just give you Something to just take the air out of that balloon. The pressure out of the situation. An umbrella over it all is faith. Faith is pleasing to God. Faith is what's pleasing to God. All of Hebrews 10, all of Hebrews 11. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Let me break it down to a father-son illustration. My son Hudson, he has two decisions to make. And let's just say I, I, I'm away, and, and Hudson wants to, to know, and he calls me on the phone, but he just can't get a hold of me. So he goes, I, I've got to make a decision. If Hudson asks these questions, you know, what's going to please my dad the most? I just want to please him. What, what's going to be best for me? What would dad say is best for me? What, 
what do the scriptures say about it? And then Hudson steps out with the decision of faith. Do you think when I get home and Hudson goes, Daddy, I did this. You know, I, I really thought, what's going to please you? And I really thought about the scripture. And, I, you know, I, I just want to be a son that honors you. Do you think I'm going to be like, you totally missed it. Pop. Not at all. I'll be like, son, I love your heart. You, you just wanted to bless me. And you, 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 I'm so proud that you didn't just sit back, but you actually made a decision and you did something. That was being a man, son. And you know what? That actually probably isn't what I would have said. But I'm proud of you nonetheless. And now let's help re-steer you into what is best for you, Hudson. Now, Selah. That's the Hebrew word for stop and think about these things. If, if me, a, a fault-filled man who has sin in my life, would be that way with my son, why wouldn't God be all the more gracious with you? Men and women, I don't know why. I, I've spent my whole life trying to build on hearing God and obeying, but sometimes I just don't hear clearly. Many times I don't hear clearly. I mean, I have the greatest stories about God speaking this and then doors opening up and just seeing his glory. And then there's some times where I'm making a huge decision and I just hear nothing. And it's not because I don't ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. But sometimes we're just called to make a decision in faith. And the Bible says that faith is pleasing to God. And so you take these different components and you put them all together, but then the best we can do is just say, I'm taking a step of faith, trusting that God's grace will cover me, that I don't have to, to, to be a precise neurosurgeon to be pleasing to God, that if I come and just have a heart of faith saying, God, I want to please you, that surely God will be for me, that surely he'll align my path, that surely he'll take care of me. I want to take that load off you today. We want to become people who are excellent in decision-making, but at the end of the day, we have to be people of faith that know that we stand before not a ruthless taskmaster, not a strict judge, not a harsh teacher who's putting little red lines all over the paper of our life, but a loving father who wants us to succeed more than you've ever desired to succeed in your life. He's for you more than you're even for yourself. That's a word of the Lord to some of you. God is not sitting back going, ooh, I hope they make it. Oh, <laughs> loser. That's, God is saying, oh, son, oh, daughter, how I long for you to experience the fullness of my blessing, the fullness of the destiny that I've called you to, how I long to take your life and infuse it with my power and infuse it with my love and to make it great, how I long for you to experience me and to be developed into a mature world changer. The Bible says he strongly supports those whose hearts are holy his. You feeling equipped? Going to go out and make some decisions today? Let's stand up.